Before we turn to God's word together, let's ask him to help us to be able to apply what it is in his word in our lives today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that which is so powerful, your word. Thank you that we're going to see more of the Lord Jesus and we're going to see more of what you've done for us. Thank you for that great privilege. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 together this morning. Beginning with verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. I'd like to do a word association with you right now. You know what that is, right? I'm going to suggest a word, and you are not going to be shy. You will not be inhibited. You will call out the first word that comes into your mind. How many of you are with me? Okay, you're all set. Here's the word. Sabbath. Sunday, did I hear? Heard a bunch of things at once. Keep calling out because everybody went at once and we can't. I heard holy. Sunday. Rest. Church. Worship. Okay, I'm looking for something. I haven't gotten it yet, but I've got a lot of great answers. They're all true. Set aside. Okay, how about, how about this also? Maybe you haven't thought of it, but I hope you will. God's love and God's care for us. Sometimes we hear the word Sabbath. The idea comes in, uh, good ideas. It is about rest and it is about worship and it is about a lot of very significant things. But sometimes we fail to think about the fact that God gave us this day because he's showing us his love and his care for us. It was a gift that was given to us. It was not meant to spoil our fun or to in some way put us under bondage to that day. It was given to us for some very, very good reasons. And so when we think in terms of Sabbath, I hope that by the time we're finished, we'll think a little bit more about God's love 
and God's care in addition to some of these other great answers that were given. Some of you who are a little older than some others that are here this morning, any volunteers on who you may be? (laughs) A few. You're feeling your age this morning. Some of you, do you remember the day when Sunday was truly a day of rest and worship? Do Do you remember that it perhaps changed? Do you remember the blue laws? Do you remember when almost everything was closed on Sunday? And this particular sign on the screen says family and worship. That was why this this was closed. So Sunday, businesses were closed. Athletic contests were taboo. Strenuous activities were prohibited. Churches were filled morning and evening. So in other words, do you remember when Sunday was not Saturday number two? like it is today. Saturday and Sunday, they're the weekend days, and there's little to distinguish the two of them in most parts of society, absolutely everywhere. Well, what do you remember about Sunday that has changed? And the older you are, the more that you will remember, and uh, even if you're younger, things have changed because they keep changing almost all the time. For those of you that are sports fans... Do you realize it wasn't until 1949 that the National Football League officially sanctioned Sunday games? Some of us think they they always played on Sunday. Um, In most of our lifetimes, that that was true. But there was a point at which it was considered to be something that was wrong. And then they decided it was all of a sudden right. Some of you are familiar with Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg doesn't mince his words. Um, He tells it like it is, and I appreciate a quote that he has. He says, 50-some years ago, those who cared about the secularization of the country could surely not have envisioned Super Bowl Sunday in the American church. Buildings that are routinely dark on Sunday evenings, the Lord's Day having been completed by 12 noon, are opened especially for the Super Bowl and are ablaze with the colored dancing on the large screens which bear the images of the gods of contemporary society. And so he would be looking at things like this all over everywhere. Biggest Super Bowl party, and here it is in City Church. I don't know if you can read City Church. Some of you maybe can't see that back there. Or big Super Bowl party at a church in Columbus. Is that is that... Columbus, Ohio. Do you know that church? Okay. That wasn't intended to be disparaging in any way. Columbus, Ohio. So we have a a situation where things certainly have changed. But why? Why have they changed over the years? And I believe that there are a lot of reasons, but part of the reason is because as soon as anybody says anything about Old Testament, an Old Testament principle, an Old Testament concept, even an Old Testament commandment, as soon as somebody talks about one of those things, somebody is sure to start yelling, legalist, that's pharisaical, that's for the Jews, that's Old Testament, that's not for today. And so people are thinking that when we're talking about the fourth commandment, to honor the one day of the week and keep it holy, that for some reason we've been duped into thinking that that was what God wanted us to do, and now we've got it right. Now things are going the other way, and they're going very quickly the other way. Well, where did they get that from? Where did they get that idea that if it's Old Testament, throw it out, it's no good any longer? I think 
Part of that is because they have an improper view of passages like the one we have before us this morning. So I'm going to look at this passage, and the key to me is balance in mind. The pendulum swings very far in one direction, and then to compensate, it swings the other direction, and I believe that's what's happened here. So let's see, first of all, what was unlawful about what the disciples did? Because remember, they were accused by the Pharisees. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Well, what was unlawful about what they were doing? Were they stealing? Is that the problem? They're in the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as disciples were hungry, they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. They didn't own those grain fields. They weren't city property. They belonged to individuals. So was that stealing? No, that's not the problem, not even in the eyes of the Pharisees here. It was okay to help themselves to the grain. That was not unlawful. Several places in the law say that even. One of them is in Deuteronomy 23:25. If you go into, notice, your neighbor's standing grain. You didn't have to own it. It, it wasn't city-owned or anything like that. You may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Now, what that's saying, basically you can summarize it. You can pick a few ears of corn, but don't bring a bushel basket along with you. Or don't back the truck up to the field. Uh, you can take some, but you're not there to empty out your neighbor. Or all you can eat, but no doggy bags. It's a mini welfare system going on. Gleaning was something that was accomplished in order to help the poor people. So if you were the owner of one of those big fields, you were told on the outskirts of the field, you don't have to pick everything, leave something there, and the poor people could come and help themselves, the people that didn't have. So that's what's going on here. It's not stealing. So if it's not stealing, were they violating God's law? As they came up and complained to Jesus, were the disciples really doing something that violated God's law? And the answer is no. It was not unlawful according to the law of God. It was unlawful according to how the Pharisees had distorted and stretched the meaning and the intent of the law. So what had the disciples been doing wrong in the eyes of the Pharisees? Well, they stretched Exodus 34, 21, and other scriptures to the breaking point. Here's what it says in Exodus 34, 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And how often? Well, the whole year long. In plowing time and in harvest. They're opposites as far as time is concerned. So they need to do that. What were the Pharisees accusing Jesus' disciples of doing? Harvesting. Can you imagine that? Harvesting because they were picking a little bit of food from the, the grain because they were hungry and they didn't have any place else at that particular time to get that food. So they were accused of harvesting. In Luke chapter 6, verse 1, it says they were picking and eating the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Rubbing them in their hands meant they were now threshing in the eyes of a, an extreme legalist. As they tossed the grain in their hands, which they would have done so the chaff could be blown away, now they were winnowing. They were doing a whole lot of things wrong all at once. They were harvesting, threshing, and winnowing. Is it possible the Pharisees stretched the law somewhat? To understand why Jesus would criticize what they were doing so often, because that's what they did. They overburdened everyone else 
but they certainly could find loopholes when they wanted to have them. Let me share with you some of these loopholes that were possible at the time. One law specified that the basic limit for travel was 3,000 feet from one's house on the Sabbath. That's like 10 football fields. You couldn't go any farther than that because if you did, you were violating the Sabbath. But there were some exceptions, and they lived on the exceptions. If you had placed some food within 3,000 feet of your house, you could go there and then eat it. And because the food was considered an extension of the house, you could go another 3,000 feet beyond the food. Do you get that picture? So if I'm planning a trip and I have to go on the Sabbath, but I don't want to violate the laws and get everybody upset with me, all I have to do is plan ahead. So a few days before, I could take a grain of corn and I could carry it out if I wanted to, 2,999 feet, put it down. So when it came time to travel the next day, I could go and I could take that corn, I could eat that, so this is now part of my house. So now I can go another 3,000 feet without violating the law. That's well over a mile now. Uh, that was one of the examples of many. There were other things that they would do as well. If a rope were placed across an adjoining street or alley, the building on the other side as well as the alley between could now be considered part of your house. So all it took was a rope, and you could extend the distance you could go on the Sabbath. It reminds me of some legalistic children who were in the family of my parents growing up. My parents wanted to honor the Lord's Day, so there was a time we were not permitted to watch any television on the Lord's Day. That changed, and they decided after a while that we could watch one show. Legalistic children completely violating the spirit of the law, but keeping the letter of the law. Two of them in particular, the two boys, decided one show. Baseball game is one show. Yeah, it takes two hours, two and a half hours sometimes. Back in that day, they used to have a lot of double headers on Sundays too. You could watch TV the whole day and not violate the law, especially if it went into extra innings. Uh, and, and you could go on and on with... Um, but there were two that used to do that. More of the same with the Pharisees, finding the loopholes, not worrying about what the intent of some of these laws were, but how they could violate them. Do you realize baths could not be taken for fear that if some of the water spilled onto the floor, it would wash the floor, and you were guilty of washing the floor on the Sabbath? You're going to think I'm making some of this up, but I'm not. This is, this is what took place. Chairs couldn't be moved because if you dragged a chair, you were creating a furrow and then you were farming on the Sabbath and you shouldn't be able to do that. This one may be my favorite. A woman was not permitted to look in the mirror for fear she might see a gray hair and want to pluck it because that would be work. So why don't we try that right now? Look around at the people nearby. No, I don't, I don't want to tempt anybody to violate anything. You could carry ink enough to draw only two letters of the alphabet. And false teeth could not be worn because they exceeded the weight limit for burdens. Now, if you want to be really, really legalistic about this, we should send the plate around again. Everybody put your false teeth in it. 
You can pick them up at the door, and I hope you get the right one. You don't get somebody else's. I'm not going to belabor this any longer, but you can see that there were many, many excesses that were going on. And uh, the Pharisees were the kings of doing this. And they would impose these heavy burdens, never intended by God, and never would they lift a finger to help the people they imposed them on. How did Jesus correct the abuse of the law? And you can see in the text that is before us, he did it by illustrations. The first illustrations are in verses 3 to 6. And in that illustration, what he would do, first one, he referred them back to 1 Samuel 21, where David violated the ceremonial law. He violated the letter of the law in order to meet a true need that he and his men had while fleeing from Saul. He was in a desperate situation. Mark says he and his men were hungry and in need. And so Jesus said, why was it wrong? It wasn't wrong for him to do that. He took that which only the priests were supposed to eat, but it was bread. It was good bread, and they ate it. They needed it. Uh, what's wrong with that? Then he gave a second illustration in verses 5 to 6. In verses 5 to 6, he talks about on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, and yet they're guiltless. They've got to move furniture. They've got to do things, prepare things. They've got to work. And it's okay. It's profaning but they're guiltless. And Jesus is saying, you're not using your heads. You're not even using your hearts about this whole situation. So the temple priests were allowed to do what they did and not violate the Sabbath. That also allows preachers to work on Sunday. Even though it's the only day of the week that we work, we're allowed to work on Sunday because of this principle that is here. So how did Jesus correct the abuse of the law? By illustrations and also by principles principle in verses 7 and 8. If you look at verse 7, he says, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. What's he saying? He's saying mercy trumps sacrifice. Sorry, I'm going to have to find another word besides trump um, so I don't offend some folks. But again, notice the word guiltless. Nothing had been done that was wrong, either by Jesus' disciples or by David or by anyone else who's pictured here. Verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What's Jesus saying by that? He's basically saying this. You can interpret all of these Old Testament laws and principles and keep adding to them and adding to them. You can do your own interpretation or you can allow the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath to do the interpretation. And I'm going to tell you that it's far greater to be merciful than it is to say, I've got the letter of the law. I just nailed you on a technicality. It's better to have mercy and to use your head and to realize there are times when to violate the letter of the law for the spirit of the law, that's what the Lord's looking for. He's looking for us to obey the principles that are here. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If you have an NIV study Bible, you'll see this text note in it. Jewish tradition had so multiplied the requirements and restrictions for keeping the Sabbath that the burden had become intolerable. Jesus cut across these traditions and emphasized the God-given purpose of the Sabbath, a day intended for people for spiritual, mental, and physical restoration. Now we find the Lord Jesus illustrating a couple of illustrations and then a principle And now more illustrations in verses 9 through 14. 
very self-explanatory. These two other illustrations, a man with a withered hand. Luke tells us that it was his right hand. Why does that matter? Probably he was right-handed. The odds would favor that. And so this is something that he could definitely use a whole lot. So with regard to that, some were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They're watching him very closely. They wanted to see, would he heal on the Sabbath? Not would he heal. They knew he could heal. But would he do this on the Sabbath? And then they could get him once again. They're trying to nail him. Mark and Luke identify the questioners as Pharisees. Matthew doesn't until a little bit later in the story, but they're Pharisees again. Jewish tradition prescribed that aid could be given to the sick on the Sabbath only when a person's life was threatened. And that wasn't the case here. But the Lord Jesus looked at this man, this man who could use some help right away. He's got a withered hand. Why make him wait until the next day? Jesus was there He had the power to heal him. Mercy. And the mercy, again, is going to trump the sacrifice or the legalism of the technicalities that these people were involved with. In the middle of that, Jesus used an illustration in verse 11 about sheep. Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And then, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And that's an exclamation point, not a question mark. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Here's the Lord of the Sabbath saying, you're all hung up over these rules. How about doing what's good? How about doing what's merciful? Because God never intended that day to be a day where good Rest, restoration, worship wasn't taking place. That was God's intention from the very beginning. Now let's get practical and ask another question. Is it pharisaical to honor a seventh day today? Are we in violation of what we're talking about right now? We're talking about Pharisees with all the rules and regulations. Is it pharisaical to honor a seventh day today? I want us to question whether there is a built-in obsolescence in these statements or not that I'm about to share with you. I'm going to share seven or six statements with you right now. And I I want to know, is this something that was built in obsolete? Was there a problem with the fourth commandment in this occasion where Jesus was there? Or was there a problem in the way the Pharisees abused it? Or should we form a party, call ourselves the nine commandment party? Because one of them We want to get out of there because we don't want to be Pharisees. Six statements, very briefly. I'm going to depend on you to use your outlines. I won't be able to go through all of the Scripture, but you'll be able to see that later on if you'd like to to study further. First of all, God himself rested. He ceased creation. He blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy for that reason. We go back to Genesis 2 to see that. Both the Greek and the Hebrew terms for Sabbath mean ceasing or rest or inactivity. The Sabbath was a celebration of God's creation. It was celebrated by ceasing on the seventh day what had been happening the previous six days of the week. But not only that, if we're looking at the Sabbath and we're studying through the Scriptures, what's going on with the Sabbath? It served as a weekly reminder of the Exodus. We don't think about that very often, but it was a weekly reminder to the Jews of the Exodus. 
We could go back to Deuteronomy 5 and verses 12 through 15, but there's some verses I'd like for you to read at your leisure. But let me share with you verse 15. It's verse 15 where it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Remember what happened? You came out of captivity. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This command looked back not just on creation, but also on redemption. The redemption of God's people. In Egypt, think about this, how meaningful it would be to the Jews. Because in Egypt, they had to work all seven days. And most parts of all seven days, now every week they would have a reminder that they're not in Egypt anymore. They're not working there. This was to be set aside, and it was a reminder even of the exodus, even of redemption. Thirdly, the Sabbath was good for people. Good for them. Socially, spiritually, physically, intellectually even. Not even the animals were to be treated as perpetual motion machines. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 12, we read this over very quickly, but take note of this. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. The land also needed rest. Leviticus 25 tells us that. The Sabbath, God's love and care. Not a wet blanket, but a blessing. So many people say, oh, those Sabbath things, spoiling all my fun. No, it's a blessing. It was well needed. Everybody needed it. The animals did. The land did. The slaves did. The people did. We do. Fourthly, the Sabbath was a sign of the covenant. It was a visible sign of God's special relationship with his people, and that's brought out clearly in Exodus chapter 31, verses 13 through 17. It was a sign of that great covenant that the Lord had made with his people. Then fifthly, the Sabbath was a reminder of God's holiness. In Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, and we are told to keep it holy. And Leviticus 11:44 to 45 says, Be holy because I am holy. Sabbath, a reminder of God's holiness. And once again, how does that hurt us? to be reminded of God's holiness. How does any of this hurt us? It's all a blessing. It's all showing us God's love and God's care. Sixthly, properly observing the Sabbath was rewarded by joy and blessing from the Lord. I'd like to read Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. And in fact, I'd like to ask you to turn there because I want us to see this together. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. They're long verses. Seems like it should be more than two verses. But what they're telling us is that God gives us a choice. We can honor a day as his day, 
Or we can keep all the days as our days, as some of us are wont to do, and say, I really don't have time for God. What I do have time for is to do what I want to do. Here's how he puts it in Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Did you catch that? Your pleasure on my holy day. If you, if you turn back from doing that and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now note once again, the observance of the Sabbath grew to include many abuses. That fourth commandment can be dishonored by going overboard one way or the other, wherever the pendulum may swing. And unfortunately, when pendulums swing, oftentimes they go one direction all the way to the other, and we're looking again for balance. Pharisees were overboard in one way. They were overboard in their legalism, all their laws and rules and regulations, placing bondage on the people. But I'm convinced that we go overboard another way. We ignore the fourth commandment totally, and we do so more and more as time goes on. We treat it as if it did not exist. And again, as always, balance is needed. Last question, is any part of the Sabbath still worth remembering? Or do we throw it all out? Do we say what others have said? It's legalism, belongs to the Jews, doesn't belong to us today. So the question, is it legalism to still claim that the Sabbath should be remembered? Did it go away with the ceremonial law? Is it only for the Jews? Is it only for certain dispensations? Do we only need nine commandments? And I understand the other nine commandments are specifically mentioned again in the New Testament. The Sabbath is mentioned, but not the, the, the whole concept of another commandment or, or enforcing that commandment is not mentioned in the New Testament. Because in one very real sense, the Sabbath is gone. We aren't obligated to obey the legal observance of a Sabbath. Colossians two sixteen and 17 tells us that. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In Bangladesh, the Christians aren't able to worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day. They have to worship on Friday because that's what everybody else in their society does. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. The exact day doesn't matter. The principles of one day set aside for the Lord, that's what's important. The legal observance of the Jewish Sabbath is not something we would want to observe today anyway because there's a lot more to it than one day. They had other Sabbaths, not just the weekly one. We would find it very restrictive, and we're not duty-bound to that. But look at these six significant statements we made earlier, and very briefly, I'm going to look at them. When God rested and blessed the seventh day and made it holy, when was that in relation to the law? When God rested and blessed the seventh day and made it holy, when was that in relation to the law? It was before the law. It was well before the law. And it had nothing to do with the Jews, at least no more for the Jews than for anyone else when the Jews did come along. 
Some people don't understand this, but when it was instituted, Adam and Eve, do you realize this? They were not Jewish. So the people that are saying, well, it's only for the Jews. Adam and Eve were not Jewish. So when we say God rested and blessed the seventh day, he made it holy, it was before the law. It was in the law as well, but it was before the law and afterwards. Does the Sabbath remind us of Passover? Maybe not. But does the Lord's Day remind us of Jesus' resurrection? Yes, it's a weekly reminder of that. It's a reminder of our redemption, as Passover was for the Jews. Why did the early Christians stop observing the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week and single out Sunday, first day of the week? Well, they wanted the Lord's Day because they saw something significant. They realized they weren't bound by the law. But they decided it would be great to worship. We're going to worship. We're going to set aside a day. Let's do it the day that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared twice to his disciples on that first day of the week, day of Pentecost. The church met the first day of the week. The tithes were to be brought to the church on the first day of the week. Third significant statement we looked at earlier, is a day of rest good for us? Is it good for us, a day of rest? I, I may have shared this before. In fact, I'm sure I did on, on at least one occasion. When I was in college, I could dunk a basketball. I can't dunk a basketball anymore. I don't know if I can even touch the rim since my knees are, are new. They don't work as well as my old knees did back in the day. But I could dunk a basketball a lot easier on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays than I could on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Why? Because I was brought up to honor the Lord's Day. I didn't play sports on Sunday. When it came to Monday, I had new legs. I was rejuvenated. And that's just a tiny, tiny illustration of how good it is for our body not to just keep on going and keep on going without that rest. God gave us that day of rest for our good. I decided in college that I would no longer study on Sundays. That was a very hard decision for me to make. And, and I'm not telling you you've got to do that. This is We've got individual freedoms. But I decided that I would honor the Lord's Day by not studying on Sunday. I was very grade conscious. I was very competitive. And so for me, that was something that was at great peril to that grade consciousness. I had to order my time better during the other six days. I had to trust God that he would honor me for honoring him. That's what he promised to do, and that's exactly what he did. My grades didn't suffer at all. One of the other things when we think about, is a day of rest good for me? Google that question sometime. Seriously, Google that and see how many people in the non-religious world will tell us over and over again that it's absolutely fantastic for us. They think they thought it up. I googled. The second one down was Dr. Matt Sleaf, former emergency room physician. He wrote a book called 24-6, A Prescription for a Healthier, Happy Life. And it is. And you should see all the other articles and websites, and everybody is saying that. How odd that God thought it up first. And he gave it to us not to cripple us and to enslave us, but for our good. It's his part of his love and his care for us. Is the Sabbath a sign of the covenant for us? No, not the first covenant. But Jesus ushered in a new covenant. We celebrated it this morning. The new covenant of his blood. Is it still good to be reminded of God's holiness? I hope that it will always be good to be reminded of God's holiness. 
If we honor God by not doing our own thing and going our own way, can we expect less joy and blessing in return than they did back in the days when Isaiah was writing those words? Conclusions. Sunday should never be Saturday too. It should be different. How it's different is between you and the Lord, myself and the Lord. Don't judge anyone else by the way he or she observes the Lord's day. I will never say you shall not study on Sunday. Parents, you all heard me say, I did not say that. That was my decision that I made, and that was something that the Lord honored. But I can't dictate that to anyone else. I can dictate, though, that Sunday should be special, or a day should be special. There should be a time to honor the day set aside that the Lord gave us. Creatively concentrate on the idea that Isaiah 58, 13, and 14 presents to us. God's holy day, not necessarily my day. Fourthly, remember the promise in our church covenant to especially set apart Sunday for corporate worship and devotion to God. Day of rest and worship, it's good for us. God's love and God's care for us is seen all over it. And now, yeah, there are Ten Commandments. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us to see what the Lord Jesus did in dealing with some abuses of something that was still very significant. And help us to be able to practically apply this with the help of your Holy Spirit. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.